Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 100th episode of Acting Inspired. This is like the 100th time I've tried to record this intro. I think I'm overexcited, and I need to calm the hell down. Woo! So here we go. I'm not going to redo this. This is it now. This is the one. Okay? I don't know. I'm not shouting at you. I'm, sh- I'm shouting at me. There's no one else here. Um, so it turns into that kind of thing sometimes. But listen... This is the 100th episode of Acting Inspired, and I just want to take a minute to reflect on the journey that has been Acting Inspired in my life for the past two years. The first episode was released on the 31st of July 2015, two years ago. And as you can tell, with. No, I guess that is almost one a week. And when I first released that first that, that episode on the 31st of July, the title episode, Acting Inspired, I had no idea that I'd be stood in a living room in a, in a building that's on land talking into a lovely microphone with some fancy earphones on, looking at my computer, trying to connect with my listeners and... and, and well, I just, I, I had no idea where I'd be. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't thinking about it, which is probably for the best. You should always be in the present, I guess, not in the future or past, whatever. Um, but uh, the point is, it's been a long old journey. And <clears throat> first of all, I'd like to say thank you so much for those of you who have come with me on this journey. My friends, my family, people I don't know who listen to the podcast. There's people all over the shop listening to this thing, according to the stats on the internet. So thank you to all of you. Um you have kept me going these past two years and inspired me. The guests, every guest that every guest that has come onto the podcast, thank you so much. I have my 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 I guess my first mission with this thing was maybe kind of selfish. It was to to inspire myself and because I was feeling lost and a podcast all i knew that was that i wanted to do a podcast and that was to to inspire me and keep me positive optimistic on my journey through this weird industry with all you lot and then it turned into inspiring others and it has kept me inspired for the last 2 years so i've kind of succeeded with that and I believe from the feedback that I get from some of you guys that it has been inspiring you too. So, and that's, that was like a, a turned into the bigger thing and is now just amazing to me that I have been able to do that for some of you. Um, so first of all, thank you to everyone who's ever had any involvement in the podcast whatsoever. Um, you've been with me through thick and thin, various times of, of up and down you've you've traveled the world with me you've been to america with me sat on venice beach watching the sunset on drunken evenings after going to a lakers game sat in a house in the hollywood hills you've sat with me on beaches in ibiza you've sat on me with beaches in plymouth you've been with me everywhere and i really really appreciate it so if you're a new listener welcome i'm lewis um, and if you're a long-time listener, thank you so much for your continued support. And if you haven't already done this, this is a bit annoying, I'm so sorry, but 
you know, I'm trying to make this a thing. Um, would you mind terribly leaving me a review, a rating, star rating on iTunes, a review on iTunes, even a review on my Facebook page? You can listen to all of the podcasts on the Facebook page. You can listen to it on iTunes. You can listen to it on the Podcast Addict app. You can listen to it in all sorts of places. I don't even know some of the places you can listen to it. You can listen to it on my website, actinginspired.com. Um, or if you don't feel like you want to do that, just flick me an email, lewis at actinginspired.com, just to say, I like what you're doing, or I don't like what you're doing, or can we talk about this? I want this to become a discussion about inspiration. It's about staying inspired. Inspiration is a very general word, I guess it can be, but we all have different ways of keeping ourselves inspired. And some of us, i.e. myself, have found it difficult over the years to find that inspiration and to keep it going. It's like a fire that you've got to keep stoked. You've got to keep adding little bits of wood to the fire just to keep it going, keep it burning. And sometimes I find myself in a place where there is no I, I, I can't see the wood. Can't see the wood for the trees. And you get stuck. And I hope that we, through having discussions and interaction, we can change that with people and keep everyone inspired. And I think the world will be a much happier place. Anyway, whatever you do, you know, whether you're an actor or not, it's all about being inspired and motivated, which is something that, will come up a little bit in today's episode. So, along with this, this, I don't even know how to introduce this dude. I mean, you know who it is. I told you on the last episode, if you listen to that, which was me just waffling, kind of making a filler, because that was episode 99, and I thought this would be ideal if this was episode 100. So, you know, a bit of honesty there, maybe too much, but this is the 100th episode now and and the guy that I that I interviewed or that I spoke with he has also been with me since the start of this podcast he gave me he and his wife gave me advice about interview technique and driving an interview in a particular direction and getting what you want mining what you can out of the people that you're talking to and it turns out that the podcast evolved and changed into something that didn't necessarily re- require those techniques. But I had that support and that advice and that knowledge from experienced this experienced dude that, that helped me find my way. So I'm eternally grateful for that. Also, when I first came to London, when I first moved to London eight, nine years ago, whatever, however long ago, I... This guy changed my life. I saw this dude involved in this industry who understood me. I felt like, I I feel like he understood me and I felt like I understood him and his way of teaching and his, I mean, the guy is awesome. He's, he grew up in New Zealand. He traveled around Asia and the Far East uh, to 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 discover theatre, he had his own theatre company in New Zealand where they travelled around in a bus to random outdoor areas. I mean, you'll hear all about this in a minute, and uh, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, but he then came to England. He was a journalist. He was he, and then he became a teacher at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. And he 
changed the whole game, in my opinion. It's, it, as I said in the last episode, it's it's often said that Ken Ray is something that, that is unique to Guildhall. Um, he's n- way more than an acting teacher, tutor. He's a, 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 there's not even a word for it. He's a, he's, he's a life teacher. (laughs) And when I, when I first came to London, he, I, I was doing, we were doing a play once in the first or second year, I think it was at Guildhall. And I'll never forget this. I had, we were doing Coriolanus and, um, I was playing a politician. I can't remember his bloody name. That's a serious play. Um, but it was masses and masses of text. And there was a scene where I, I had to, to banish someone effectively. Um, and there was this big speech. And I <laughs> I got lost. And I didn't know what to do. I froze up. There were like people's parents. It must have been the second year because they were like, there were outsiders in the school and they were all watching this. And it was in the round. They all sat around us in a big circle. And... I'm trying to do this this speech and I can't do it and I keep saying the same line, trying to get myself back into it, try to breathe, take a minute, can't do it. And in the end, I, I just went blind and went, oh, fuck it. Like, just just annoyed, pure annoyed with myself and just said, fuck it. You, you're banished. Get him out of here. And I was hugely embarrassed and felt fucking awful. Parents were coming up to me going, patting me on the back going, don't worry, mate, it happens. It was, I was like, Ugh. and I, when I went into notes, this note session that we have after projects, after sharings, I went into notes with Ken and he said, that was the best thing I've ever seen you do. <laughs> because when, when you fucked up those lines and when you gave in and you, audibly said fuck it you're banished and because you gave in and in that moment you let go of everything else all the clutter all the fear that you were having experiencing of not remembering those lines all just disappeared and you let us in for a minute and he said for that that second on stage you were that was one of the best moments I've ever seen of you on stage. I mean, I'm not, that's not an exact quote. I can't remember exactly, but like it was along those lines and and it stuck with me forever. And I don't know, I haven't really thought about right now what the lesson was from that. But well, I guess it is not, not being so... I was so concerned with myself, the actor, with Lewis, forgetting these lines there was no way I was ever going to get those lines back. And in the moment that I decided that I made a decision and a choice, and I guess it is in a way a risk (laughs) where I kind of just went, fuck it. I know the general gist of it. I'm just going to say that in my own language. Fuck you. So it's when you, 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 it's when you lose the restrictions of yourself as the actor and become the character dude whatever that was a big moment also this is really embarrassing 
Before I came to Guildhall, never read a book all the way through. I tried many, but never finished one all the way through. I mean, aside from in classes where you stand up and take it in turns to read a paragraph each as you go around the circle or whatever. Um, I'd read plays, but I'd never finished a book, like a novel. And I said this to Ken once in a in a one-to-one session. I feel like I was always knocking on this guy's door, like, can I just sit with you? Because he's got the most amazing voice as well. Anyway, um, and he gave me... He, he wrote down a list of books and he wrote down The Old Man and the Sea and The Alchemist. The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway and The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. I think is that, yeah. And I read both of those books and I read a couple more on those lists all the way through and I'd never been more proud of myself in my life and I honestly don't know whether or not I would have done that if... I hadn't sat down and spoke about this this problem, this fear. I was scared because I was scared that I couldn't do it. And I was scared that I hadn't done it before, I guess. And I felt stupid because as you would as an 18-year-old in a drama school where everyone's actors and, you know, know about shit. And, and you know, I, I felt like I was way out of my league. And I couldn't admit this to anyone else. And I told him and he gave me these suggestions. And for some reason, him telling me to do it made me do it. And... Then I went on to read almost every book that Hemingway ever wrote. (laughs) Still can't speak. Um, And I continue to to do that kind of thing now. and And I think that's down to Ken. Anyway, the point is, he's a legend. Inspiration. Such an interesting guy. You're going to hear all about him now. I'll stop talking shit and uh, we'll crack on with it. 100th episode. Thank you so much, ladies and gents, for sticking with me on this. It's only going to get bigger and better, and I want you to, to join me and, uh, and to, to, to start us off um, on, this, on this milestone now as we go into our, in, into our 110s. I present to you Professor Ken Ray. Take a trip on the canal if you want to have fun. Hello, Ken Ray. Lewis, hi. Thank you so much nice. for doing this. Well, well, nice nice to be back again. Absolutely. Together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, well, do we call you Professor Ken now? Ah, you, you heard about that. I did. Yeah. That's, well, that's, uh, that's just a, a thing, you know, I applied for, uh, you know, because you talk about going out of the comfort zone and finding new things. I think I think it's really important that you're learning at every stage of your life. Yeah. You know, you just go on finding new challenges and doing things. Um, and so I thought that would be a nice thing to do. Yeah. Because my wife won't let me do a PhD. She said <laughs> it would take too, too much time. Because I did, I did an MA about 10 years ago. And she said, that's enough. You know, you're not doing any more. <laughs> enough education. And I said, well, can I be a professor? Said, well, maybe. <laughs> well, uh, and now so you are. I did that. So you've got to, you know, fill in lots of um, forms and essays about, you've got to kind of big yourself up. Yeah, 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 sure. About your international impact and that. But it's a very nice, you know, I'm if there's any weakness I have, I'm not a particularly egotistical kind of person. Right. And so maybe this has held me back in a lot of my career. <laughs> well, um, maybe. So it's now's the time to say, okay, right. You know, well, that's, for it. that's actually something I think about quite often. Mm. And I suppose we'll get to this a little bit later Ego on. Ego and the actor. Well, yeah. And, mm. and 
and for selfishly me personally as well mm. um mm. i i noticed that uh, uh, i'll come into more detail about mm. this later but mm. i noticed that i don't have much of an ego mm. um and i noticed that actors who are very successful mm. um so not all but mm. a lot that i've met um sometimes on first meeting appear mm. to be arrogant or mm. um or egotistical i guess yes, might, might yes. be the word yeah. and what do you mean on first meeting you mean in an audition no no first rehearsal or yeah like a rehearsal at a party. Or at a party or whatever mm. that like mm. they're they're occasionally and this is me being negative and jealous probably because i have not got as much as uh, have not got as much of an ego is that i go oh you're a bit but you're doing brash. podcasts Lewis. What, what would you mean that, well can't you can't be more egotistical than that you're putting yourself around <laughs> the globe that's true that's true that's yeah. big ego i know but i like <laughs> like my last episode said that i um recorded earlier today yeah. um we uh, i don't know i'm trying to connect with those people with the people who are listening. The people who are listening. Is anyone yeah. listening to this? Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um according to the internet they yeah, are. Good, good. But um they don't talk to that's, me, Ken. That's amazing. Well, maybe that's the next step. To yeah. Get, so this come, is what I'm working on. Talk to us, talk to us. Talk to us, please. Yes, yeah. Um But it's a very interesting thing about ego and that. Yeah. Because you know, you talked about some people appear arrogant. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I not only in parties or interviews, but also in performances. Yeah. Some people just look a bit pleased with themselves yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, on screen or yeah. on stage. And that personally for me, that really turns me off. Right. And other people they seem to offer everything. They kind of let you in. There's a huge sense of humanity. Yeah. And you're just blown away by that. You you kind of adore them. Because I think that that is quite an important part of the actor's job. Yeah. We must adore you in, yeah, yeah, in yeah, some yeah. extent. And if you think about that, that you know, that's the history of theatre going right back to Roman times. You know, the actor was a figure of adoration. Yeah. And it's not for nothing that Acting and prostitution were always linked <laughs> right back from to classical times. Anyway, yeah. that's another story. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. how do we get on to this? Um, is it, so I think, yes, the point is it comes back to your values. Yeah. I think that's very important. Yeah. And ego, yes, if you have a complete absence of ego, I think you get lost in the dust yeah. of everybody else running in front of you. Yeah. And so you need to find a way of projecting that you know your which is about your your self esteem your your value in yourself your respect your love for yourself but if that's done with correct values i think it never comes across as arrogant right and that's why you know in my classes at guildhall and and this is by the way where we are today absolutely yeah uh, it's in fancy this, tv studio it's fancy tv studio <laughs> um in my classes the first class i always establish the values and i say this is how i want you to work i want you to work with warmth yeah yeah come from a warm heart because what's the opposite of that coldness people won't pay money to come and see cold acting yeah and with generosity of spirit give yeah. it away give it to the other actor give it to the audience give of yourself because what's the opposite of that is selfishness. Yeah. You know, me, me, me. Are you impressed with my technique? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's a kind of showing off. And that turns audiences off. No, absolutely. Um, um, but in in terms of, because this is something that necess- we don't necessarily, I don't know about now, but, uh, you know, uh, certainly when I was at Guildhall, 
and this isn't a criticism, I don't think, because we're here to learn about acting and to, mm. to be the best actors that we can be. But the, do you think that the business side requires a little bit more, um, a more of that ego? Yes. The, the yes. other side of yeah. it, yeah. It's, it's quite interesting you say that because, yeah, I wrote this book, you know, The Outstanding Actor, oh, Seven yeah. Keys to Success, plug <laughs> of book. Um, but what I'm interested in now is going beyond that. Yeah. And what really fascinates me is this whole question of charisma. Right. Because it comes up a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, I read the other day somebody talking about a charismatic animal. How can an animal be charismatic? You know, what do they mean by that? But it's used a lot of actors. She was a really charismatic actor. Yeah. Or he was charismatic in, in that. Um, and obviously it happens with business leaders, politicians, yeah, sure. athletes, and all that. And this really fascinates me because I think some of the, the greatest actors of of our time, of any time, are quite charismatic. Yeah. And I still need to know more about what that means. So here at Guildhall, we are encouraged to do research, you yeah. know, to do research project. That's how you become a professor. Of course. Um, and <laughs> so I'm starting a project in conjunction with somebody at the Business School of Imperial College right. about charisma in leadership right. because that book, second plug of book, um, <laughs> he, a number of people contacted me out of the blue and said, look, I'm not an actor. I work in banking or whatever, but I found this really interesting. Wow. There's a lot I could learn from that. Yeah, yeah. And that set me to thinking, well, okay, maybe some of those principles need to apply in the wider arena and look at, at particularly leadership. So yeah. I'm starting to study up that now. And and I think that's very important. So how do we get on to this? It's about ego and stuff. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the business side of it. The, bus it? the business side of it yeah. is very important. So to come back to your question, I think when you walk into an audition, mm -hmm. you need to bring some of that charisma into the audition yeah. with the right values, generosity, warmth, that kind of thing. One of the one of the definitions another person I think at Harvard Business School gave of charisma it was a combination of warmth, presence, and power, yeah? right. which is very interesting. But interesting about warmth because ten twenty years ago you wouldn't have talked about warmth yeah, in business leadership. They say, "Oh, that's fluffy. You know, we don't <laughs> want to go there." Yeah, yeah. Um, but now people, it's interesting if people regard that as an important quality. Yeah. It's certainly important for actors. So to come back to your point, I think when you come into that room. And I've noticed it this week because this week while we're talking, probably while people are listening to this, uh, I'm one of a, a group of people auditioning the next round of of people to come to Guildhall. Yeah. So we're looking for those. So we've there've been 2,600 have applied and Jeez. we've got it down to 100. Wow. And by the end of the week, we've got to get that down to 26. Um, and a possible vintage and, year. Uh, hopefully, hopefully a vintage <laughs> year, more of which later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously I can't give away confidences, but what mm. fascinates me is sometimes when someone really good, you actually make a decision about them or you sit up and take notice. The moment they walk into the room, really? you're talking about that first 10 seconds. So well, what are they doing? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is something we hear a lot as mm. actors, I think, and... Um, 
I don't know. It, I think it's something that we that certainly I just hear and go, yeah, yeah. I, like, I, or maybe it's just because I don't feel like I'm doing that. But it, what? Can you not pinpoint what that is when they walk in, or, or is it just because you can't? That's why I've been trying to do a week. Because yeah. <laughs> if, if you, you can't could pinpoint that, tourism, you could yeah. you could probably make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah or help true. a lot of people. Yeah. All right. So, um, work in progress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is it's about an energy in the eyes. Yeah, yeah. And when they start the speech, it's also about an energy in the eyes. And I find what I'm what I'm saying to people this week a lot and in, in auditions generally is, you know, think about, give each thought its own energy. Yeah? So each thought has its own energy. So you'll get somebody going, you know, thou nature of my goddess, you know, to the lie law my services about. And I'll say, hang on, there were two thoughts there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you you had the same energy, yeah. so they go oh, yeah, and it goes back. And when we're really enthused, as I hope we're doing now, <laughs> we have different energy to each thought, and yeah. that makes it interesting. Otherwise, people would have stopped listening to this ages ago. <laughs> or, or, yeah. Do do you see? Yeah. So so that also is about the energy of thought in the language. Now we are. For all intents and purposes, we're improvising a scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's no, our absolutely. words. It's our ideas. Yeah, but. Because we're really thinking and we're using language to get ideas across and to discuss them together, we have a certain commitment to those. Or in acting, we call this ownership. Yeah. If there's no ownership, we just don't believe you. Yeah, yeah. So it's finding that commitment. And it's having the confidence to find that energy you know, with, with the, the language to commit to that. Yeah. And I find most people find that very very hard yeah. to really have that kind of commitment and energy and of course it can't be you know over the top yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like that to think <laughs> oh this is you know terrible acting or whatever but there is a point in the middle where you've really got to find that mm. and you know there are not tricks but there are techniques you can do to help people to say okay now do it over the top or you know, go go into a rage, be yeah. furious with me, and then and find they find the something balance. they find, and that kind of liberates something. Yeah. But it, it there's something about this that worries me a lot, and I think it's a generational thing. Yeah. That when I when I grew up, you know, we had debating societies and all mm -hmm. that at school, and you learned to get any you know ideas across, and. You listened to the radio because when I was very young, there wasn't even television. Yeah. This is in New Zealand Christ. because television, you know, New Zealand was way behind the rest of the world. So it hadn't arrived. You still had the wireless. <laughs> you still had the wireless. Mm -hmm. And so on. So we, and, and there was discussion and so on. And it really worries me. Every time I sit in the tube, I look at everybody sitting and I'll count one, two, three, four. Every, almost every person is, you know, is, is yeah. on their phone or, or something, and are they reading Tolstoy or no? No, they're playing games yeah, yeah. on there, <laughs> or they're crush. texting something. Yeah. So their whole world goes down, you know, to this kind of world. Yeah. And then they get up, and they've got to have some kind of presence and commitment to the language. Yeah. And and I think, you know, young people, younger than your generation, are are coming into a world in which... Not only was I think your generation was it was cool to be super cool. Wasn't yeah, yeah. It? <laughs> now the next generation is what is 
just detached. You know, yeah, they'll have a conversation, and even you know, my my children do this a bit. My wife is starting to do it. <laughs> um, they, in, instead of just speaking on the phone and sorting something out in two minutes, they'll have a complicated text conversation, and that language of that conversation goes back to when I was at school I used to be a telegram boy we used to have telegrams in those days I'm just this is making me sound like Rip Van Winkle (laughs) Gandalf Um, um, but I I used to deliver telegrams telegrams were a big thing if you wanted to get a message to somebody there was a telegram and because you paid for the word they were quite expensive you had a kind of telegraph language you know you clipped the language and it's horrifying that language is coming back Tweeting. In text, yeah, in yeah. text, and yeah. tweeting, yeah, you know? so we're, we're we're coming right back to you know I don't know fifty years ago, Jesus Christ, or whatever. Yeah. Now, so then my point is, I'll get to my point yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. But no, this is great. somebody walks into your edition, yeah, and you want them to have ownership of that language, yeah, particularly if it's Shakespeare, or yeah, yeah, and they're just not used to that. Yeah, or not? Yeah, I suppose not used to even vocalizing at all as yeah, well. Yes, exactly. Um, so to answer your question, I think it's it's coming in, bringing that charisma into the space, a kind of confidence, and an energy and a twinkle in the eye. Yeah. You know, as you probably know, I'm obsessed with eyes <laughs> and the energy of eyes. More of which later. Yeah. Um, and bringing that in, and then having ownership of the thoughts and using the language. Yeah. And technically, that means coloring keywords yeah. and varying the rhythm, you know, daring to slow down, speed up, have a pause, yeah. filling that so that it doesn't become mechanical. And it just worries me. I may be completely wrong, but it just worries me that young people are growing up into a world where they lose all that facility. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I, I guess it's something we're still finding out, I, I suppose. Um but yeah, I've noticed it as well, even with people of my generation, you know, who are not involved in an industry or has or have an obsession like podcasting or, mm. you know, some mm. stuff like that. My friends who are mechanics and builders and stuff mm. from back home mm. in Plymouth, you know, they're, they're very much this, the, the only way I really speak to them is through text format, mm. you know, mm. I don't, don't speak to them. I don't call, we don't call each other and have a mm. conversation. Mm. Um, whereas someone in a similar sort of boat to me, yeah. um, or someone who's been to drum, for example, I was just sat around the corner on White Cross, <clears throat> White Cross Street. Hmm. I've been sat there for a little while, um, just editing one of the previous episodes, and uh, Dave Walmsley hmm. called yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, he sends his love, by the way, oh, as cool. does Kai. Hi, Dave. Okay. <laughs> um, and he he said you know he he said where are you and he happened to be in the area so he came and we had a conversation um and it scares me regarding my friends back home because sometimes i meet up with my friends back home um and you know we still love each other and and are friends mm. but we'll sort of meet up and there's not much going on what do you mean? In the, Vocally. There's no excitement. They, yeah, it's like you, you don't exchange ideas. Yeah, and I feel like the 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 text format is misleading as well because mm. you know mm. it, it would appear to me as if you know oh the explanation mark at the end of I can't wait to see you. Yeah. Um, it's like a lie. Yes. Um, yeah. And then when I arrive, it's it's not a lie, but you know, yeah. uh, it's not 
and there's research there's work. research coming out on this there's uh, they're yeah. very that young people are avoiding conversation yeah yeah they would rather text now what what happens what happens when those people inherit the earth and they come into power and they are our prime ministers and our presidents yeah i don't know what happens to <laughs> values in that it's scary um it is a bit it is you know, if you look at the the Trump thing, we won't sort of get bogged down with that. But no, no. he is changing the language, yeah. yeah, yeah, the language of leadership, and it's going. He's he's broken all the rules, yeah, and those become accepted. You know, it reminds me of um, there was there was a, so I I don't know whether it's true. I suppose it is. Was it um, who was the king against Elizabeth the first? Was um, oh, the of France of King of France was ah gone. Anyway, um, he it it was said that he had a lisp, right? And nobody could point this out, you know. To right. him. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And so the only way of dealing with this speech impediment yeah. in the court was for everyone to adopt a lisp. You are joking. And it's it's said that that's why in Spain, you know, the the s sound is pronounced as yeah, a th. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. You know, um, so, so what I'm saying is, is, is everybody's doing that with Trump in a way. Yeah, you know, leaders are starting to adopt his language of of tweeting. Yeah, and that goes in. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that, but I guess I'm not. Uh, I guess I try to avoid those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the thing is, the implication should. for actors yeah. is that this this kind of degrades language yeah. and somehow actors then have got the challenge of making audiences say at the globe or the RSC or whatever sit up and listen yeah. intelligently focused to shakespeare yeah well that's and another with thing. long speeches exactly and I, that's another thing that uh, actually when i started doing the podcast um that i was reading about was that you have Actually, it wasn't when I started doing the podcast. Kai and myself and Kai Brigden, the boy Kai, mm-hmm. um, we were doing a little episode of a web series together. We mm-hmm. wanted to start doing like a web series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing lots of like research about internet mm-hmm. content. Um, and the attention span of our generation mm-hmm. is ridiculously low. Yes. Uh, short. Yes, um, yes. And you have something like, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like you have, Five seconds to like in, it intrigue someone, yes, and yes. then fifteen seconds to hook them. Yeah, and if you don't do that in you're the gone. first twenty seconds, you're, mm. it's, there's no point. Mm. So, uh, so you've got to start with a bang, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and keep going. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, um, in order to be able to yes. to hold yeah. on to them. So it's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Yeah, for yeah. Actors. Yeah, totally. I mean, how do you find it? Do what do you in your experience with audience concentration? Um, to be honest, I. I <laughs> It's a good question. I mean, the, the shows that I've done most recently um, were the, the the last show I did, which I've spoken about a lot on the podcast. Mm. Hidden um, was very snappy. Mm. Uh, it, it it was a seventy five minutes long. Mm. It covered. It was like the it, I can't remember. It covered about fifteen years of this mm. couple's life, mm. um, maybe even more. Twenty years of this couple's life. Mm. They have a baby. They get married. He loses his job. He gets his job again. Mm. He he. And it, so it's got a very hard hitting, very high energy mm. sort of, not not necessarily high energy constantly, but um, snappy and yes. and you'd struggle mm. 
the scenes were one or two pages each. Uh-huh. Each page, each scene was just yeah. maximum four pages, um, and very quick. Not quick, but so pacey dialogue. A high energy of playing. Yeah, so mm. I think people were able to mm. to stay tuned with that, and and yeah. I have noticed that a lot. That I even myself actually, I I kind of grown now. If I'm if I find out that a play I'm going to see has an interval in it, yes, and yeah. I go, oh. I mean, I've yeah. got to like sit through an hour and then come out and wait a bit and go and sit, you know. It, and then it, you make a decision: Will I go back after yeah. the interval? It's quite interesting that yeah. um, sometimes they, if it's a, about just less than two hours, they might play it without an interval in order to kind of maybe Keep, to capture the audience yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. There. no, absolutely. And and although I I. I've never had the guts to not go back, even if I'm not enjoying something. I'm terrible. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, and then and the show that I did previous to that was mm. a um, the the audience were promenade. They were following us around mm. and standing. Mm. So I think that helps as well. Yes, yes. And that they yeah. and we're in the middle of Windsor yeah. Great Park, um, oh. so they can't they can't go it's anywhere. It's more democratic then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's like street theatre. Yeah, it is very much like that. I used to do street theatre. Yeah, I know you do. I want to get to that. We've we've jumped into acting. We've jumped into acting. The, the, That's the, the most stuff. interesting part. Isn't well, it? I don't know, Ken. <laughs> I've always been fascinated by you. My me. Yeah. yeah. Um, from from the first day we came here, I think mm. I sort of went. This is going to sound so weird, but I was like, oh, this is my guy, um, and. I don't know. You you definitely possess this warmth and generosity um, that you speak of so much. All, all these, all the elements of the outstanding actor. Mm. Like you said, you got bankers and stuff calling you. Mm. Mm. You possess all those elements, I think, because I I was just talking to Anna Meda outside, mm. and I was saying that when I came to Guildhall, um, I was eighteen, nineteen. Um, I didn't know what. I'd, hit me mm. and I was you uh, were a bit lost oh, in a, in a, a, I still a am, new Ken. world isn't it which was exciting yeah. but at the same time there was something uh, <laughs> there was something really interesting there <laughs> it's, what thought, is this it this guy can be a well yeah what is it please no, tell me it, like, no. you know that, and, and, that, and I struggled with because I wanted you to go the thing because mm. you used to annoy me uh-huh. A little bit in in notes and th- hear me yeah, out yeah. Um, when we would have little note sessions and things yeah. because you would make me question myself, mm. not question myself, but um, you would I'd I'd want you to solve it. Oh, I see. Because I was attracted yeah. to you as a as a teacher and mm. a, and a, mm. a sort of leader. Mm. Um, I would go, oh, he, he's going to know. Like Ken, mm. what is it about me that's interesting? Because I don't know, and you mm. you seem to know, and you and you mm. would always sort of deflect it back and go, mm. well, think think about this, and and not give me the straight answer that doesn't exist. Mm. I don't think, and um, and it really sort of maybe maybe it was your vulnerability, yeah, you know, that was something very strong, yeah, you know. I don't know. Um, I can't. I've lost myself now, and I've yeah. gone on anyway, to street theatre. Street theatre. <laughs> yeah, and you and your yeah. journey because yeah, I, my journey. Okay, it, it was a funny journey. Yeah, um, you know, we're all a work in progress, and there's Absolutely. still a lot uh, to do yet. Yeah. I, I seem to be busier now, doing with and more ambitious than ever. But okay, right. Um, quick brief history. Yeah. All right. That's what I. Want. I Maybe it all began at school. I, I was at a very interesting school. This is in New Zealand. It was yeah. called Rotorua Boys High School. So it's a boys' school, yeah. a lot of testosterone, and a lot of space. Yeah. I think we had 
one, two, three rugby pitches, two soccer pitches, a swimming pool, a rifle range, six tennis courts, a gym, and lots of stuff. How many students? 800. 800. Because um, a lot of land. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was very outdoors. So, and the headmaster, when I started, he was an ex-all black. So he caned very well. Jesus. But I escaped him, fortunately. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't escape another one. But anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, that's another story. You got caned, Ken? Caned within the first two weeks. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. We what did you do? caned in those days. Well, it was, um, this is completely irrelevant to acting, but Absolutely. we were set homework in the chemistry class yeah, yeah. and we had to do homework on the parallax error. And uh, several of the boys hadn't done it and that included me. So this teacher, he was a sort of white-haired little man who wore a white coat yeah. and he, we used to call him Molecules. Um, and uh, he ordered the, the boys who hadn't done it outside, so we were a bit terrified, and he got his cane and he gave us all two on the backside each and oh we came back God. sort of. I think this was just to terrify the rest of the class. Yeah, maybe. And do you know... For the rest of my time there, I was never caned. I came very close to it. Um, once in assembly, talking in assembly, and we happened to be singing a hymn, Heart of Oaks, uh, thing. and the, this other teacher caught me, and I was able to negotiate my way out of getting caned if I could do a drawing, because I had a reputation as an artist really? in the school, and if I could do a drawing of Heart of Oaks, whatever there was, I thought, what, what does this mean, this song we were supposed to be singing? Um, and I then went home and did a, a pen and wash drawing of Nelson, Nelson's victory, in the middle of battle, you know, it's hard work. Anyway, uh, that's it. Uh, so it kept out of kept out of trouble. But but point of my story is yeah. uh, there were a number of of quite inspirational teachers there, and one of them was the music teacher, and he was just his vision was to have his own brass band, and um, and he loved Gilbert and Sullivan operas, and he and the history teacher, whom I kept in touch with for decades later. Oh until he died in his 80s, um, they would put on these Gilbert and Sullivan operas. And I, because I had a great reputation as the best artist in the school, would do the scenery. So I would flood the stage with enormous, you know, with like we did the Mikado, and there would be, you know, cherry trees and maple trees in autumn. So I was mixing all the seasons and getting <laughs> sort of archers and things like that. And everybody would gasp at all this scenery on the stage. Anyway, the point of my story is that I was also in the chorus and I was never good enough to get a leading role. You know, maybe I couldn't sing um, or act or anything. And I never got... So a part of me thought, you know, I'll show the bastards yeah. one time. And that sort of gave me an impetus. And of my generation at the school, I was the only boy who ever went into the profession as an actor. Wow. Because I wasn't good enough at that stage. That's interesting. Anyway, so leap forward a, a few years ago. And, and it, another thing, too, there's the English teacher. He was a very inspirational English teacher. Yeah. He, was, um, he was a very cool guy. He had a very he was sort of perma-tan. Yeah. Um, and we used to call him James Bond because <laughs> you know, he was so cool. And yeah. he would smoke a cigarette, and, <laughs> and the, I think, which we were allowed to do in those days. But the th point was he got through the curriculum yeah. quite quickly so okay we've done the curriculum now you do your homework let's get on to the really interesting stuff so he would teach us existential philosophy wow. he would teach us um classical music he'd bring on 
Beethoven and Tchaikovsky, which we'd never heard so of he, before. He got he'd bring all this, he got all that, and way. then he'd yeah, it, it would be stuff he thought, and <gasps> and pornographic French literature, you know, Jean Genet and stuff, which. This, this was mind-boggling to us. This was, was the real education. Yeah. And he said to me one day, he said, you know what I think you should do, Ken? Ray, he said. Ray. They always <laughs> called you by your second name. Yeah. Um, I think you should take those stage designs of yours to London and go there. Get out of this country. What? And the strange thing is, you know, years later, something like that did happen. Yeah. I didn't come as a stage designer, but uh, <laughs> I came and uh, found my my way here via a number of things yeah then i well i i was i worked quite hard and it's interesting about you know about aspiring to things our school had a wonderful motto we used to have latin mottos ad astra per aspera means Mm -hmm. aspire to the stars and i i've always followed that you know to this day i think it's a wonderful thing and I think it's nicely ironic that I've helped make a few stars on the way. Absolutely. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, 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 was, it was very inspirational. And I, my, my goal was to get, there was a prize, you have prize giving. Yeah. Um, and in those days you have prizes. Do you still have prizes in schools? Uh, I never got any. Well, my children went to <laughs> primary school, you know. Yeah. It was a wonderful primary school. And then the teacher got sacked or something or replaced by when they amalgamated by another teacher who was very trendy. And you know what they did at sports days? The first thing they did was to abolish prizes. So you had races and all that on sports days, but there were to be no winners. What? I think that really damaged my children. Because because if there were winners, then somebody was going to lose and that might damage their mental health for the rest of their life and so on. So there was that kind of climate. Anyway, back in my day, we had prizes. And I aspired to one called the Diligence Prize, which was for the person who tried hardest. (laughs) And I had my mind set on that. But I didn't get it. Do you know what I did get? What did you get? The Ducks. That was the General Excellence Prize. Oh, wow. Top academic thing in the school Jesus. so it kind of surpassed the thing and I thought that was great so my name is there in gold letters to Amazing. this day on there anyway um, <laughs> next next part of the story is I then all my mates were going to university I came from a, quite a small town yeah, so yeah. I wanted to go to the big city and I wanted to go to university yeah. and I'd got this ducks yeah. but because I was supposed to be an artist and all that I was offered work in a leading advertising agency in Auckland. Yeah. You're going to ask something. Well, I mean, what do you mean you were just offered work? uh, Oh, well, I I was doing a bit of sort of, they called it commercial art in those days. Okay. And I did a bit in my spare time after school to earn a bit of money. Yeah. And so I built up a portfolio and went to see this agency and talked to them. And they were very interested in taking me on. And they did actually offer me, I don't think I even applied for it so then there was a not a major row but my parents said wow you've got this job and then you know leading agency yeah fantastic and I said no mum and dad I want to go to university yeah because I'm I really like English you know drama and poetry but you've got to have a bread and butter line they said you know you can't forego this this opportunity and that's a really interesting dilemma I'm sure 
I'm sure some of the people we see here at Guildhall are yeah. in that position. They say, I want to be an actor. They say, but you've got to go to university. You've got to get a degree. Absolutely. And, and some that. of them do that mm. first yep, as well. Right? they do. Yeah. So I struck a deal and made a compromise yeah. with the advertising agency. I said, <laughs> look, I really want to go to university. And they said, okay, well, we'll let you go to lectures. You can go part-time and you can go off to, to lectures. And that. So I did. They said, but you've got to do our advertising exams at the same time. So I went to the technical college and learned calligraphy and top, you know, typography and oh, life dear. skills and went to, um, to, to the English classes and, and did the start of a BA. Mm. And eventually uh, I left advertising because I went to another, a smaller company and the guy was the managing director was this kind of megalomaniac tyrant and everybody worked in fear of him. Right. The only time we could relax was on Friday afternoons when he and the other director went for a sauna and had a game of squash after and, and arrived drunk back in the office at five to five <laughs> just to see everybody was there. Jesus. Um, and that was the only time we could relax. In the end, I, I just got out. Yeah. They used to call me The Shadow because I was running my own theatre company part-time yeah. from my little office. Well, that's what I want to talk yeah. about as well. Um, yeah. How and why and when and, you know... Yeah, so that happened. So it, I mean, it um, makes sense with the yeah, scenic yeah. art stuff. But. Yes. So I did sort of go into theatre through... Uh, um, stage design and that. And then I took acting lessons and, you know, studied at an academy, a private academy, because there wasn't a national drama school yeah, in those yeah, days. Sure. And eventually then um, went into theatre and into professional theatre. But at the same time, university, because I'm doing university part-time, um, some of us started up a, a theatre company and because there was a bit of an old warehouse that was disused. And so we thought, oh, let's do this. And so we got floor polishers and cleaned, you know, sanded down the floor and varnished it and did it up and made it you into a, a theatre. Theater. We built a theatre. Jesus Christ. Man. And we called this the Living Theatre Troupe. Yes. Now that's take, because at this time, I mean, this is where often I think I look at you now in your tie-dyed T-shirt and your, <laughs> your pearls, uh, no, your shells, your beads, yeah, isn't it? Rubrushka. And I think, you, Lewis, you were born in the wrong time. You should have been born when I was because <laughs> you would have loved it then. But you've got to realize what was going on in the world at yeah. that time. No, absolutely. Uh, this is, we're talking about late 1960s. Yeah. And there was a huge revolution in the world that sort of started after about 1968. And this was cultural. Mm. It was kind of led by culture, by theater. And... Amazing things were happening in, in London, here with theatre. Amazing things were happening in America, in San Francisco, in uh, Los Angeles, in, in New York. And in, here were we, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, yeah. completely isolated from all this. There's no internet, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And we could just read about this in journals and say, oh, amazing, all this. And there was this guy called Grotowski in Poland. Yeah. And we think, oh, amazing, the sound. But we didn't have any idea. But we, we thought, well, <clears throat> let's us do some of this. Yeah. But we'd never seen any, you couldn't see it on YouTube or anything oh, like that. We could just yeah, read about it. So, so we found our own solutions for doing this. Yeah. And we knew there was a group called the San Francisco Mime Troupe, yeah. which used to put up a sort of a backdrop and a trestle theatre, and they would do Commedia dell'arte plays, which were kind of 
political. And we knew there was a group in Mexico called the Teatro Campesino, and they would do guerrilla, it was called guerrilla theater in those yeah. days, and they would go around doing that. And we knew there was a group called the Bread and Puppet Theater in New York, and they would do 15-foot-high puppets and all sorts of puppets and do political protest things. And we knew there was this guerrilla theater um, going on in New York protesting about Vietnam. Yeah. Those are the days of Nixon yeah. and troops in Vietnam. And that was a really big issue in the world. Yeah. And we knew um, uh, there was a group in, in uh, New York called The Living Theater run by a man called Julian Beck. And that they were sort of performing naked and getting the audience to get their clothes off and doing <laughs> Greek tragedies and all this. And we thought, this is amazing. Let's do some <laughs> yeah, of this. You know? um, but from the innocence of isolation. Yeah, hmm? yeah. And that, when you think about it, was quite liberating. So we we bought a bus, an old school bus. I saw the pictures. And we painted it yeah. white. And because I was a bit of an artist, I did all this circus lettering on it. And we would we would pack our stuff up and we would devise our own plays, sometimes children's plays, sometimes really cutting-edge avant-garde plays, which we'd got scripts of, you know, from right, New York right. and all that. Yeah, yeah. And we'd travel around the country taking theatre to the people because also uh, there was another movement going on at this time in the 60s, and this was in China. Okay. And there was the Cultural Revolution. Right. And Mao Zedong, was, he was really kind of super cool and left-wing university circles. Yeah. Great. And uh, his idea was that theatre should be for the people and you should take theatre to the people. And we thought, wow, this is an amazing idea. We, at the time, got it completely wrong, but more of which later. Um, so, uh, so anyway, we started up the, this, the we called it the Living Theatre Troupe. Yeah combining those two images yeah, yeah. and we had a little backdrop and we'd go around performing in parks on beaches mainly in the summer in this but we'd just turn up and we'd run around i used to have a green top hat because we and and silk scarf because we were very keen on mick jagger yeah yeah stones and his, <laughs> who had visited auckland we saw him what? and um in, and we'd run around banging drums and, and, and all that and gathering an audience. And then we'd play and uh, pass a hat around at the end. And also we would do protest theatre. We would do a lot of street theatre. We called it guerrilla theatre. Yeah, yeah. Protesting about Vietnam, censorship, all the sort of yeah, issues yeah. of the day. So this theatre became quite a kind of edgy, cutting-edge theatre. And yeah. it was really exciting. Now, bear in mind... New Zealand had a population. Whoops, sorry. Uh, New Zealand had a population of about three and a quarter million in those days, and it's the size of Great Britain. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so it, you know, there's a lot of space, yeah. and you can achieve notoriety quite easily. And so we became Should quite notorious. Yeah. And uh, you know, you you could just it was a different mentality, a mentality of. A young country, as you say, because you have in your genes the pioneering spirit. You yeah. say, okay, we'll do it. Yeah. We want to change the world. We'll just get on and do it. And so we did these things. And this was terribly stimulating. And so we did a play. Um, I think one of our first indoor plays was a play called Futs, which was, um, which was about a farmer, I think, in the Appalachians, 
who was in love with his pig and had sex with his pig, which is interesting. Albie has written this play about the goat. Yeah, yeah. And now, in those days, this play was, you know, really notorious sense, and so yeah. on. And we put this on and, you know, it was very easy to get publicity about yeah, yeah. You know, this shocking play. I bet. And um, so that was good. So we quickly became quite well-known and made our mark, got Arts, Arts Council fund, funding because what? we were super trendy and so on. And even Grotowski, you've heard of Grotowski, haven't you? Grotowski was God in those days. You right. know, he was the biggest thing that had ever happened. He was a, an avant-garde director in Poland, who right. created a laboratory theatre and just swept the world. You know, the, the people had never seen anything like the intensity of his actors and what they were doing. And he visited uh, New Zealand and they, uh, just to give a talk, and they invited all the theatre companies to meet in a, in a room in Wellington and uh, a kind of audience with Grotowski. Yeah. And so I saw him. And he gave wow. the, the talk. I think I even asked him a question. Yeah, yeah. So that continuity is good. So that's one of the great moments in my life. Anyway, where are we on the street theatre? So we were yeah. travelling around I just and doing all that. Point yeah. on that, actually. It's, yes, it's, I'm not giving you much No, no, it's talk. great. No, I, they, I, they hear enough of me. Like, <laughs> believe me, I do these ones on my own and they go on too long. Um, but it, you, it seems to me, and I don't want to, like... Uh, I don't know if this is the right word, discredit people creating theatre now and creating mm, theatre mm. companies. And I do believe that they have this idea of t taking theatre to people and, and giving m more theatre to, you know, diff like Paper Creatures, who I spoke mm, to a couple mm, of weeks ago, mm, want to create mm, theatre for, mm. you know, um, representing our generation mm, and, mm. and trying to prove that we're not... Uh, just these phone social media addicts and that mm, kind of thing. Mm, and mm. Um, Anyway, m my point is that, like, y you had a real purpose. Mm, yes. And a real cause. A real cause. And I feel mm. like, and I, even I'm doing this, so I'm sort of dissing myself in this way, mm. but, like, I feel like we do it now because of a lack of work. And a lack of, or, or not a lack of work, mm. but, uh, mm. uh, you know, when we're in a tight spot yes. um, or we haven't done something for a while, the the immediate thing we go to is we'll create our own work. I mean, I preach that all the time on this. Yes, you know, we've yes, got, yes. if you're not getting anything, make something yourself. I suppose that is a purpose. Do you believe in that? I do believe in it because I believe it has a an effect on then what we do when we do get work. Um, mm. and in mm. life in general, but mm. you talking about that theatre company and taking theatre to the people and, like... But it was it was a different world, Lois, in yeah, those know, days. Yeah. It was a different world. You could live fairly cheaply. You know, we lived in a big house, which we were renting, Yeah, um, and it was like a commune, so we'd live like that. So we thought of ourselves as part of a commune with yeah. our bus out the back. Um, so... Economically, it was a different world. You yeah. could, and there was a very good, comfortable standard of living in New Zealand. There still is. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, poverty, you know, didn't exist so much. Yeah. And you could just... There was... A, yeah, I think the main difference between my generation and your generation yeah. is there was a spirit of optimism. Yeah. Uh, in which you, you just 
And that gave people confidence. Yeah. This, we're talking about people in their 20s. Yeah, 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 sure. And gave people confidence to do anything they liked. And there were, there were words that you don't hear anymore, like counterculture. You know, yeah. Our culture, our youth culture, is the culture against the establishment. Yeah. You heard words like anti-establishment. It was like flower power. Because the other thing going on at this time was the psychedelic movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole drug movement was, you know, I haven't touched drugs for decades, uh, <laughs> but it just seems to me, so I don't know much yeah. about the scene, but it seemed to me that it was much safer in yeah. those times. Yeah. You know, marijuana was, was pretty safe. Yeah, 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 sure. And you had a good time. And LSD wasn't sort of laced with terrible things. Yeah. And, and that. So... You could explore those things and and maybe deceive yourself that you were having a more spiritual experience or, <laughs> or something or relate it on a higher cultural plane. Yeah. And at the same time in music, there was a huge revolution in music going on, um, led by the Pink Floyd, yeah, yeah. You know, which was making this you know, sounds that were never heard before. Yeah. And when the Beatles did Sgt. Pepper, that LP, that changed the world because yeah. the sounds on that or the kind of the sophistication of those songs and the orchestrations, particularly that last track, that was just, wow, this is it. You know, we can aspire to live up, to be part of that world, that revolution. Yeah. So you could identify with really exciting optimistic things that were going on yeah. and relate to that and so and and that i think my generation that has given us an optimism that's lasted all our lives and that's why they talk about this what is it, the baby boomers yeah, yeah, and yeah. so on bastards you know with all the heavy <laughs> big pensions and all that um um i think you know, now we are getting on a bit. We're not going to go quietly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We're going to continue to change the world and, yeah, man. and do our things. And I think, you know, you mentioned about me being here at Guildhall. Yeah. I've always seen myself as something of an outsider in a positive way. Yeah. A kind of maverick. Yeah. Character, being different <laughs> from the others and not part of this because... My roots, the identity, is something from outside that world, and I mean that, that's another whole subject about identity. You know, when you, you come because at a place like Guildhall, <clears throat> people come from all over the world, yeah, and when they arrive, they oh my god, you know, here I am in London in this amazing culture, yeah, and it's very intimidating. Yeah. Even people who come from Glasgow or maybe Plymouth, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. It suddenly you're in London, Blew and my mind. The the culture, the dominant culture, is not even it's not even English. It's, it's Southern English. Yeah. that culture. Yeah, yeah, and your first thing is to conform to that and be part of that. And I think only later, as you get more confidence, do you go back to your roots yeah. and say, "I'm really a Plymouth boy, or a Rotorua boy, <laughs> yeah. or American, or you know, Chinese, or whatever." Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you are are more comfortable in your skin and your identity. And that's when you find a level of authenticity. Yeah. And this is important both for actors and for leaders, which goes back to my yeah. research on charismatic leadership, because the other thing with that is is about 
the phrase is authentic leadership. Yeah. You know, to be authentic, you've got to be yourself. You've got to not be trying to imitate someone else. Just as an actor, you've got to find a good training will help you find what is unique and what is individual about you, yeah. not to imitate Brad Pitt or yeah, yeah, whoever sure. you might look like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel bad. Pause, that I, pause for thought. Pause for thought, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. No, I, so it's, so it, the, it's... It's really interesting, and I, I feel I feel very lucky um, about the world I was born into. Yeah, yeah. And that set certain values, and that's why, that's why to me I think values are really important. Everything starts with your values, and I think if you you get that sorted out, if you have right values, that will will last you and guide you in your life, whatever you are doing, mm. whether it's a leader, a sports person, a charity worker, or an actor, uh, if the values are right, that will attract people to you and the work will always be coming from the right place. It will never be kind of me, me, me. Yeah, totally. Show off. I think it's so important for actors. Yeah. There's that spirit of generosity it opens out. Yeah. I feel bad. I feel like right. I just like uh, I just uh, sort of um, no. But the optimistic thing, the yeah. good news, <laughs> the good news no. is your yeah. generation is now is now starting. Look, look, here we are yeah. doing this podcast. That's you know that's very entrepreneurial. Yeah. So your generation is starting to say, you know, we've we've had all this. We're we're going to start to make our own opportunities. We're going to start yeah. to do things. And why is it that Which in is not drama school, it's it's a That's it's a very I good thing. Bad. I made yeah. it sound like a bad thing, or yeah. I was comparing it to yeah. the time. But, but why yeah. is it now? You know, in drama schools, more and more people are creating their own opportunities. Look at Lambda. That gave rise to the the play that went wrong. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The group that came out of that. Yeah. There have been groups like Impresarios and um, Filter that have come out of Guildhall. Yeah. And this is going on. Now, 15, 20 years ago, that was not happening. Right. And, you know, I've been here a long time. And I think <laughs> when one of the the most, not depressing, but... One of the times of the 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 kind of Thatcher children era, mm. the students became very uh, reactive, very passive, and people were not making opportunities. Right. And I think it's very optimistic now that I'm seeing students more and more, and ex students, you know, like yeah. yourself, going out and making things happen. So that's. That's why you're wearing those beads. <laughs> and that tied up. Yeah, man. <laughs> so there's a kind of connection. Yeah, totally. Across, across that, those generations. So in a way, you know, because I believe a lot in pendulum swings. Yeah. It swings one way, it goes to the other way. Yeah, I think you're and right. Yeah. I think it's coming back to a, a very optimistic generation that will make things happen. It will somehow defy all the economic challenges of the world. Yeah. You know, and, and and somehow survive. So I feel optimistic. I feel optimistic for you. Yes, thank you very much, Kim. <laughs> um, okay, so then you... you uh, left in New Zealand. Yes, you left New yeah, Zealand. I was very interested also while we were doing this. I was very interested in this idea of taking theatre to the people. Mm -hmm. And 
the main inspiration, as I said, was was coming from China there, the revolutionary theatre. Yeah. And I was also very interested in Mask. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I had studied, I'd learned from um, Jacques Lecoq's technique that uh, a number of people came out, some of his teachers came out to New Zealand and formed a theatre company. Oh, and cool. they trained our company, the Living oh. Theatre Troupe. So we learnt neutral mask, larval masks, oh, that's cool. um, all these sort of things, the chorus exercises, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. all that stuff that yeah. became a lot of the basis of my teaching. Yeah, absolutely. And then later, coming you know, many, many years later, coming to London, I finally got to meet Jacques Lecoq and to learn from him directly because he was giving workshops for professionals Jesus. and his team here in London. And so that... That was a big influence. Anyway, so I was interested in, in mask. I was very interested in oriental theatre, Japanese theatre, kabuki theatre, no theatre, yeah, well, Balinese theatre. Yeah. And and again, there's no internet, there's no YouTube. And so sometimes I would hire films from the Japanese embassy or the Chinese embassy and... I determined I wanted to go and see this stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> so I planned a gap year. <laughs> it, was, it was supposed to be two years, go around the world studying theater yeah. and come back and form a new theater company or pick up the living theater troupe and be amazing. Yeah. And maybe tour to Edinburgh or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And come out of isolation. <laughs> and uh, so that was a year uh the first year was spent more or less in the Far East. And I had an invitation through a friend of a friend who was very high up in the New Zealand Communist Party right. to have an invitation to go to China. And now, in those days, there was no tourism in China. Right. People couldn't come out of China, and they couldn't easily come into China. Jesus so Christ. It was like another planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and before I did that, I spent... Uh, the first four months in Indonesia, in in Bali, and in Java, <clears throat> and I would go there. This little you know guy from New Zealand, and I'd arrive in Bali and see. Ah, I want to learn Balinese dance. So I went to the institute. And said, I'm here. I want to learn Balinese dance. What can I do? And so this guy who was running the institute, the Institute of Dances, I mean, he took me in his jeep and drove me into the center of the island and to this little village and spoke to this guy and there's a lot of talking in Indonesian. Yeah. I didn't know much Indonesian in those <laughs> days. And at the end, he said, um, <clears throat> this is the dance master of the village and this is his son. He's about your age and um, he will teach you. You'll pay him $4 a day and you can um, sleep on their veranda and he'll teach you every day and uh, you can start tomorrow. So I did. So I lived for this this village um, in in Bali, and we used to bathe in the river. We used to drink out of their well. I never got any diseases. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we ate not very well. They were not rich. It was mainly uh, the, the meals made me really miserable. Oh, really? It was like a big heap of boiled rice. Yeah. And if you were lucky, a bit of spinach around the edge and maybe no meat maybe once a week and so I lost a lot of weight but uh, um, and classes would start at six o'clock in the morning and go till about <clears throat> 10 or 11 because it was just too hot after that right 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 and then there might be some in the evening wow. and I just worked so hard because I thought 
I will never have this opportunity again in my life. Yeah. I'm going to grab every minute of that. Yeah. That's why I tell students here at Guildhall, do not waste a minute of your life because it won't come. So I worked away at that. And um, in, the, in the evenings, I think twice a week, uh, the local gamelan orchestra would play. We used a little tape recorder, you know, yeah, yeah. tape recorder with when a recording of the music yeah. you know, to play in the daytime. And in the evening, the gamelan orchestra, that sort of, of gongs and cymbals, yeah, yeah. they would be practicing because every village has its gamelan orchestra. And uh, they would practice, and the people learning the dance, because in the village everybody learns a dance, you know, from children, and uh, would get to practice with it. So I would get to practice with the gamelan. And this is the most th thrilling thing, Dude, you know, so because cool, yeah. you're dancing along, you go, nino, 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 and there's this movement where you're supposed to go, you know, a sort of movement of your shoulders. Yeah. And this is a signal to the, the gamelan to burst into torrents of sound, and you go, with your shoulders, and pow, you know, this amazing sound unleashes, and it's so thrilling and amazing. Wow. And, and then it would go down, nino, nino. Okay. And I was the only kind of foreigner in the village, so people thought this was very strange and then one day um i so i was learning a, a about three pieces mask pieces yeah and uh then they said oh uh there's a cremation going on in the next village when that happens there are ceremonies that go on for a week you know, all yeah. kinds of things and they said um we're invited to do some performances so um you might as well do your little piece you're you're doing you can come with us so i went and we we traveled um, to the next village and we were welcomed by the they welcome you first with a big meal a kind of feast yeah. which i remember we were served on banana palm yeah, leaves yeah. and the, you know if you've got to perform you know what it's like yeah, before yeah. a performance the last thing you want to do is have a big meal a big meal yeah so it's horrendous big yeah. meal <laughs> Performance is about 10 o'clock at night. It's and a mountain uh, of rice. Yes. <laughs> and then, so there was me dressed up in the full Balinese costume and the mask and the headdress. Jesus. And just these white hands and ankles poking out, you know, at <laughs> the end. And the audience could have guessing this and finding this hilarious, yeah, yeah. this foreign. But uh, somehow doing it with the... You know, gamelan going yeah, torrents yeah, yeah. of music. Just, <laughs> would it be just you on your own? That was a solo piece, yes, a solo piece of me on my own. So that was probably one of the most terrifying performances. But you, you did had. it, right? Did it, did yeah. it and survived. And there's even a photograph somebody took. Please. A <laughs> Have you got that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so so that was that. very good. But what I found fascinating, and I think what I was looking for, is that the culture, and it's still a bit like that today, it was connected um it was connected with the whole spiritual life of the community yeah you know the the performances were myths and legends from the ramayana you know the indian cycle and there was a kind of spiritual connection that you do not see in the world of modern theater mm. you know for example uh one day i'd be practicing with the gamelan, the, the local village, and the, the priest would come around and, you know, douse you with water. And I said, you know, what's he doing that for? And, they, and they'd put a little frangipani flower behind your ear. Right. And I said to my, my teacher, why is he doing that to me? Yeah. He said, well, that's to make you dance better, of course. <laughs> you know, we just don't think like that. No, we don't, no. And they really believe that. It's like spirit and, and not spirit, but... I don't know. Yeah. What, what is that? Yeah. 
Well, it's just there's there's a connection, you know. Yeah. Uh, just the, they believe that when you you dance on the face of the earth, you're celebrating the stories of the the gods and that, and yeah. you you honor them. You know that's why they, you know, in India, for example, the actors come on stage, they touch the foot of the leading musician, yeah, and they might, you know, pay some kind of respect to to the the stage. Right. Which might be the bare earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there, there's this wonderful connection, yeah. which maybe existed in, I don't know, Greek tragedy two yeah. and a half thousand years ago. So that was quite interesting. And then I also learned mask dance in Java and then went on to China and arrived on this just like another planet, uh, you know, because there were no tourists. Yeah. And there were there were two guides to take me all over China, because the the brief was I was to be I was here to study theatre, which in those days was theatre of the Cultural Revolution. Right. And so everywhere I went, I saw lots and lots of performances in wow. all places, you know, in theatres, and you know, but theatre was everywhere. I'd heard about theatre and factories, and thinking, isn't this amazing? Factory workers doing theatre. So I can I see theatre and factories? They take me, and there would be theatre. Theatre peasants doing theatre. So we'd go to a visit a, a commune. We walking over the rice paddies, and there would be a group of, you know, the people tilling the rice or whatever they do. They yeah. would just happen to break into a revolutionary song as you pass. You are joking. And all that. Yes, this is true. And it was only late. And we'd go to, um, we'd go to, to visit farms. Yeah. And there would be a group of the, what they call the carders. They were like local mayors and councillors. And they're all happily studying Mao's Red Book. And they're learning, you know, the ideology of the communism and yeah. all that sort of thing. We thought, marvellous idea. Isn't this great? You know, people should really get in touch with the land and the people and to do this wonderful idea. And it was only later, much yeah. later when I came to London, that I just saw that was a really sinister yeah. propaganda movement. Mm. And that those people, those mayors and councillors, I thought were... Um, you know, having a great time doing that. They were being tortured. They right. would be kept there. The pianists in in the music conservators were having their fingers broken. That people were being locked up or killed. Yeah. And all this propaganda that I saw. You know, theatre should be the word that kept coming out for the the workers, peasants, and soldiers. Mm -hmm. And we don't want theatre about what was the word they used, emperors. Scholars and beauties. That's what that was. <laughs> Emperor scholars and beauties. That was the theatre. So what they were referring to was the traditional Peking opera. They don't want that for no. Them. They right. didn't want that. So what they had done was to take the the Peking opera, the traditional operas, yeah. and rewrite stories using the same style, but putting them into a contemporary revolutionary context. So you had people doing these wonderful things instead of being all in silk and that. They were in military uniforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of having spears for the martial arts sequence, they had rifles. And I have to be honest, at the time, I thought, this is amazing, yeah, yeah. theatre for the people. And then only later you saw, you saw the other side of that. Uh, so, so that was really interesting. It's powerful, though, I guess. Very powerful. I mean, it's still... <clears throat> well, it, it had you... It, it had that. me taken. Had you, yeah. And, and lots of... 
other people because, and not many people had been and seen that firsthand. Yeah. So that's really what got me into journalism because when later at the end of this trip I was doing all this research. Yeah. And I arrived in in London with all these stories about theatre. So I was able to write a, a story about that. May Day in Peking, Beijing, uh, in the Cultural Revolution for The Guardian. There was sort of half a page in The Guardian. And that was my way in, sort of finding my yeah. unique uh, selling point. And then from there, it was going on to Japan and seeing Kabuki, the training of... So I'd just go to these places and say, hello, I'm from New Zealand, I'm an actor, I want to learn about Kabuki. And they say, well, you don't speak Japanese, um, but you can come and watch the classes. So yeah. I, every day I'd go to the National Theatre and sit in and watch the people being trained. Bloody hell. Of that. Um, and write everything down. And yeah. then I went on to India and... Uh, arrived in India and said, I want to see Katakali. There was a sort of traditional theatre form. They said, oh, we, you can't see any here in Delhi, but you'd have to go to the south of India. India is a huge massive, place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'd go down there and I'd turn up at this um, place called Kerala Kalamandalam. Bloody and Kerala was that? Yeah, it's in Kerala, yes. Yeah, You've yeah. been there? Yeah. You didn't, did you go... Where did you go? I went to, I don't, uh, Kerala. You were on beaches. I was right? on backwaters. Backwaters. On a right. boat. Did you see any theatre? No, I did not. Oh. I think well, it was, probably it was doesn't between go the first year and second round. year. Yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, I see. Needed a break. Anyway, I'd turn up there and say, I want to learn Katakali. <laughs> because and they, they took me over and I heard these drums going. And I thought, yeah. I just want to learn this. Yeah, I just yeah. want to sit and watch. I want to learn it. And so they said, okay, you can. Um, but it, we don't start. It's still the monsoon go away for a couple of weeks and then come back. So I went and studied another kind of theatre called Yakshagana, which was the next one up, and then came back to Kerala and would do those classes. And those classes began um, about four o'clock in the morning because in Hindu culture it was believed that the hours between four and six in the morning are the best times for learning. And so our classes would begin at four o'clock in the morning until about six. Do you find that to be true? Uh, well, we did it. <laughs> um, and then you'd go away and have breakfast and you'd do a bit more yeah. in the rest of the morning. And then you would sort of sleep it off in the afternoon. And then there might be a performance in the evening. Wow. The performance would run sometimes. It, it would begin about half past ten and run till dawn. Uh, and, you know, you would... It, yeah, it... It's amazing. Where, so yeah. where does this... And this would be, you'd be under the stars and the palm trees and the audiences would be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people watching this outside and dogs running around <laughs> on the stage and everything. And people selling peanuts at the side and yeah. all that. And you thought, you know, it's like a kind of medieval... Sounds life. unbelievable. Yeah. It's, Sounds uh, amazing. It probably still goes on these days. I, so, where and then does I, your I, motivation come from, Ken? Did you ever take a day off? Like... Well, you don't. When you've got all that, you don't think I'll take a day yeah, off. Yeah, of course, because there's so much opportunity. Your there. motivation comes. Well, again, what did you, you said? It wasn't it purpose. What did you say? Purpose, uh, vision, or something? When we, we when were we were talking about some time ago? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> did I have a purpose? I oh think, yeah, 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 yeah. If you have, if yeah. you have a purpose, that's fine. That that gives you energy and motivation. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's a reason for doing things. I think that's what I lack sometimes. 
I lose my vision. I did a podcast on it not too long ago where I I found myself in a in a in like a slump, uh, and I and I, I, I was still try I was trying to progress and be proactive, but in, with a very sort of negative energy, um, and I realised that I'd lost. I sat down and went, "Why am I? Why am I doing this?" Mm. Mm. And I had to really think about it and mm. and find it again. I'm still finding it because I mm. do. I, I do. So, I, I am personally at danger of falling into that place too mm. often. Mm. Um, and that's easy in a in a vast city, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, and it worries me, man, because mm. sometimes I I uh, sometimes I think I haven't changed since being at Guildhall it, that 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 boy comes out who's going fuck where am I what am I doing mm. um please help someone and well when were you most idealistic in your life at what age I I don't know yeah I, I, as a probably 10 year old kid I guess why why then because it could because you could be you could have fun and you could mm. i don't know what what was the question sorry when when were you most in, in what when were you most idealistic no, when idealistic. Were you most idealistic i don't know ken but that is interesting i think you know i was, I was just talking with martin today in the yeah, yeah. auditions they you know and i just said to him do you think everyone can act yeah. Can everyone act? Potentially. Yeah. And he said no. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> and I said, well, but little children can act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, but even little children, you know, some are not convincing at that <laughs> age and some are. Yeah, that's true. Which I suppose is true. Yeah. But how did the convincing ones, how did they get to be like that, even at the age of five or yeah. four? So maybe it was something that happens because a lot is about imagination, isn't it? Yeah. And you know there is an argument that everybody is is born creative and imaginative yeah everybody's an artist and then the education system kind of knocks it out of you yeah you you learn all sorts of disciplines yeah and then and then puberty sets in and as a, a teenage level everybody's got to be super cool and be popular on the playground yeah in order to survive socially. And that's a kind of, it's a time when you're very awkward in your life. You've gone beyond being 10. Yeah. And and your body feels awkward and you feel gauche and socially awkward and jealous of the few classmates who might be super cool. Yeah. And you somehow stumble through that and develop, and develop, I think, Lots of masks or defense mechanisms or protections. It might be a very dry manner or dry sense of humor yeah. or a kind of cynicism or detachment. And then these people arrive at the age of 18, 19, 20 at a drama school <laughs> uh, with all this baggage. Yeah, yeah. And the job is to to lead them to a confident place where they can say, well, I no longer need that. Yeah. I can let that go. And that will happen for different people at different times. Yeah. Um, 
And so a lot of the process, I suppose, is just paring away the clutter. I think that's the meaning of life. Yeah. Pare away the clutter. Yeah. You know? Because we arrive with all this stuff. And as you get older, you think, well, I don't need to do that. And often people, you know, if they've had a reasonably healthy life as they get older, they kind of just look. It's, it's been shown in research that people in their 60s are the happiest generation of all. Really? Yeah. I suppose because then they're not too many aches and pains. Yeah. Set in, in the 70s <laughs> and 80s. And there's not the midlife crisis. Yeah, I guess. In the 50s. Yeah, you kind of go, this is and who I think, am. This is who I am. And you just get on. And also you have a sense of what is important in life. Yeah. And get more balance. Yeah, I suppose. And become more selective. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the process is, I, th I think, just letting stuff go. Yeah. So that you get through to your core, authentic self yeah. being. Yeah. Yeah. And... And, and and that's what you want as an actor. So it's a lot it's a lot to demand of people at the age of eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, so sure. Let all that go. <laughs> you know, be your authentic self. <laughs> yeah, but I need all I this. Don't know who I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is me. And then you what you're seeing now is a few years on, yeah. it's difficult to maintain that inspiration and that intensity yeah. that that you you felt and that idealism where you think well what i have to offer is is valuable it's it, worthwhile yeah i can take my place in the world i can offer something to the planet yeah and i believe in myself enough to do this yeah yeah and if you think about it you know more than most professions acting is so much about dealing with rejection isn't it yeah because statist statistically you're going to be turned down for more jobs than yeah. you're going to be offered. Yeah. And so resilience, or what I call in my book, third book plug, <laughs> um, is, is, is grit. Yeah. You know, that thing of grit. Of, there's a wonderful phrase, a Japanese phrase, fall down eight times, get up nine. Yeah. Know, of just bouncing back, of, of, of keeping going. Keep going, and yeah. Those are the ones who survive. It's a kind of Darwinianism in action, you know, the survival of the fittest. Yeah. And, you know, I think when research has been done about people in the profession, it's found yeah. that the dropout rate in the profession is mm. quite high. You know, that after five years, a lot of people give up. Yeah. And by the time people get to 50, I forget, you know, what the proportion of the better... A, a shocking number of people have given up acting. Yeah. Now, the positive side of that is if you can survive <laughs> to 50, you've got less competition because <laughs> so many have, have yeah. given up. And that's why I find myself saying to people, look, you're, you're training for, you're preparing for a career yeah. that is maybe going to last 60 years. Yeah. You, know? you can be working when you're in your 80s. I think... John Gielgud was working in his early 90s. Yeah, yeah. And you're really training for that. And it's very important to know when your moment comes. Yeah. Now, some people, it may all happen in their early 20s. They get a good job or a great TV series or a Hollywood movie. Ah, amazing. Um, and with other people, it might be not till they're in their 40s. 
and with others it might not be even until they're in their 50s yeah and i think you've got to keep going for that you know that's why look at daniel craig he's it's a good example. He keeps working, keeps working, keeps working. He's doing TV series and all that. And then what happens when he's about 39 or something? His big moment comes yeah. and they say, would you like to play James Bond? <laughs> and he's ready for that yeah, because yeah. he's got a lot of work behind he's him. He's got those 10,000 hours he, in. He's put in his 10,000 hours. And if you think like um, a wonderful actor who was young when he was a um, when he was at Guildhall, when he was young, Conleth Hill, Conleth Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was he was a bit anarchic, a bit subversive. He would take the piss from me when I was a young teacher, and but he had something very interesting. Not in a nasty way. But not in a nasty way, but right. such as a nineteen twenty year old would do. Yeah. And uh, so he sort of worked away, and now. In he must be in his early fifties, perhaps. Yeah, I guess he's so. He's doing wonderful work in, um, like in Game of Thrones. Yeah. he plays the eunuch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that, so he's amazing in that. And now, wonderful work in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah. So he's kind of ready for his moment, and he brings onto the stage, you know, that authority. Yeah. Of that. Or another actor who really took the piss and <laughs> the whole place when he was at Guildhall um, was. Um, Adrian Dunbar, and see, see, you, you haven't heard of him. And no, he, he I sort can't of worked away, worked it. away, and now he's in line of duty. He right. plays the main copper. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. And he is just wonderful. Yeah. But when he was young, he wasn't conventionally good looking yeah. you know, in the kind of Orlando Bloom sense. Yeah. He looked himself, but his moment came when he was a little bit older. Yeah. And now he does the most wonderful work, and there's just full of humanity so i think i think a lot is about kind of self-knowledge of knowing you know what you have to offer and knowing that as you get older you merely move through different casting brackets which open up new opportunities and your moment may come in your 20s it may come in your 50s but be ready for that. Yeah. Keep going. Keep the resilience and the grit going until that moment comes and then you're ready to play it. Look at Ian McKellen. Okay, wonderful career. Yeah. Recognizes, you know, the greatest Shakespearean actor yeah. on the stage. But when does this, this mega, mega moment come? It's not until he sort of goes to Hollywood and does, what was it, X-Men yeah. also, and Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings. Yeah. And how old is he then? God knows, yeah, yeah. he's old. Yes. But he's ready for that yeah. because he's got all that experience behind them. What if he'd given up, you know, um, yeah. when he was in his Who would 50s? It be? Like, yeah. do, do you see? So Yeah, but, well, but what... So this is one of the things we touched on just before we started recording, which was like... I feel like I'm being really negative every time I bloody speak. That's all right. That's I'm here to make you positive. Exactly, yeah, you bring me back up again. Um, but when you, well, if we haven't got that... People like Daniel Craig, people mm. like Ian mm. McKellen, Conrad mm. Hill, you were saying, um, mm. what was the other guy's name? Uh, Adrian Dunbar. Adrian Dunbar. Mm. They, we may not have known who they were, but they were working mm. um, very mm. often. 
Hmm. Or am I wrong? Um, jobbing actors. Jobbing. Jobbing actors. Look, there's another one, like this week, very topical, Sarah Lancashire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, th- I think she was in Coronation Street. She was, yeah. Now, you might not think that's the greatest, the most artistic job. Well, but, I mean... But it's a good it's a good job, and she yeah. does a good job with that. The experience and she must get getting in doing that. And getting great experience, ridiculous. working away. And people might say, ah, oh, soap opera, you know, that's nothing. And then she's in this amazing thing called Happy Valley. Yeah. And... You know, just you're blown away by yeah. the the invisibility, the transparency of the acting. You know, the sheer humanity. Yeah. And that just doesn't pop out of the blue. She's been working away. Yeah. And she's ready for her moment. And quite rightly, you know, she gets last night, you know, um, best Recognized leading actor, yeah. actress in in a TV series or something like that. Yeah. And that happens. So it, just coming back to your thing, your negative thing, you say it, it is, yeah, it, it is very easy to lose your, your vision, your sense of purpose. Yeah. And that. And, and, but I think that is absolutely key to survival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're going to be an actor or any kind of artist, you've got to keep alive the inspiration. Yeah. What is this podcast called? Acting Inspired. Yeah. And so the thing is how do you keep inspired yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's presumably a, that's the theme of every every podcast you do absolutely yeah and how, do, how do you help other people to be inspired that's it yeah uh through talking to people who inspire me or or i've seen who are who i believe to be inspiring yeah. um and uh but i i talk i spoke about it today when i recorded one today before I came out and I I wanted to ask you about this actually I tend to go through these phases so I'll when I first started this podcast I think been out of Guildhall for a couple of years a few years um Christ how long have we been out six years seven years maybe um but I didn't get anything for like almost a year then I did a small fringe play. Mm. Then I didn't do anything for a few months. Then I got a slightly better play. Uh, didn't do anything again for a little while, and and it's it's been like that. Um, and but I've had the what am I trying to say? I was in a real low point when just before I started doing this podcast, and it's when I discovered podcasts mm. and I started mm. listening to them, and I was inspired by. Mm podcasts by people who were like me as well um sometimes i feel like i don't always see you know the i don't always see people who are like me that can inspire me and i was inspired by these sort of these blokes who i was listening to blokes and women i was listening to on podcasts so it was you were very proactive yeah and I, I, well they, i heard them in one guy in particular kevin smith who's a filmmaker he quite famously makes films that flop quite a lot but he's mm. He's unbelievable. I love him. He's like my hero. And he he said one day on a podcast, do a podcast. Like, this is amazing. I found it brilliant. He made a film because of one episode of his podcast. And and uh, and he said, just get a microphone, sit down with a mate and see what happens. And if you like mm-hmm. it, you stick it out there and see who else likes it. And mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I'm going to fucking do that. Mm-hmm. And I did. And then um, at the same time, I discovered another guy who was... Uh, he's a stand-up comedian, but he do, he has this podcast and he talks about 
fitness and health and looking after mm. your body and I got really into that and then I started working out and mm. looking after myself and trying to eat better um, and then I was listening to another guy Duncan Trussell this is logo on top of there that, mm. and he's talking about existentialism and, and like all this kind of stuff mm. and my mind was being blown and I was mm. like and I got really fit mm. and I was actively working on something constantly mm. the podcast mm. and and then I started getting more acting jobs Um Why do you think that was? Well, because probably because the twinkle in my eye was fucking shining like hell. Um, so what does that tell you? <laughs> well, the, the, but but my point is that's why you, that's what I was talking about earlier. Again, you always do that to me, and I'm, I'm like, oh shit, I don't know. Um, but then I, but then somewhere along the way, and I don't know why falls it start something mm. happens and bits of that sort of fall away mm. and i i f like gradually fall without realizing it and then i hit the floor and i go shit i'm like i haven't done my podcast for a few weeks mm. i i've stopped working out i'm eating mm. terribly again i don't feel good mm. i'm smoking loads of cigarettes um like I suddenly find myself in this position and it's mm. like I I don't know if this is the right word but this is what I used earlier when I was trying to describe it to myself was I go through fate I have these like I'm like a fad guy mm. <laughs> where mm. I I go wow that's amazing and I fully invest mm. in something for for a period of time and then mm. before I know it it's all gone mm. and I haven't held on to it mm. and I want to stop doing that Mm. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm asking you, but I, I feel like you've got the answers. But I think every that happens to everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, we have times when we're energized. Yeah, and the universe seems to be with us, and everything goes. And there are times when everything goes down yeah. a little bit. And the successful person is the one who picks themselves up first. Yeah, or m more quickly. And I let myself we all get lay there, knocked back. Yeah. So I, th I think. I think the key is resilience. You yeah. Know, just that ability to bounce back. To yeah, keep yeah, that. yeah. Because I think you've got to accept that, you know, life is not just cotton wool. No, of course. And there will be knockbacks. You know, there will be times when people do not give you what you want. Yeah. There will be obstacles in your way. And, and they're good for you. Yeah. And, and unsuccessful people will turn back yeah. or give up. As people drop out of acting, because yeah. they think it's just it's a degrading profession. I just yeah. don't want that anymore. And the successful people will say, "Okay, that's an obstacle. How do I get around that?" Yeah. So I've got to do this, this, and this. So this is my strategy. Yeah. Or I've got to improve my diet, or read more, or yeah. keep, build up my skills, or do more voice work, physical work, whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. So that you 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 keep that going. So you you're looking for more inspiration all the time, aren't you? Yeah. And I think as long as you hold on to the idea that we're all learning and growing yeah. all the time throughout our lives, that will always keep you moving forward or forward and upwards. Yeah. Once you think I know everything, then it can only start to decay. Yeah. Because you'll never get above that level. Yeah. That's if someone says so, that. Yeah. Uh, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so 
you know, it's so much. You know, so much is about knowing yourself. Isn't yeah, it? just learning what are your weaknesses and what are your strengths, and playing yeah. to your strengths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And keeping the confidence, so that when you walk in the door <laughs> to do an audition, you bring just a confidence. Yeah. What, which is what I was. We were talking yeah. just before we started recording, yeah. and I was telling you about meditating before yeah. the audition for the yeah. la the last mm. job that mm. I got. Mm. Um, not saying that it necessarily is because of that, but it put me in a position where I wasn't thinking about. I w all I was thinking about was what I was there to do mm. Uh, mm. in a group style mm. audition as mm. well, where. Mm. I am quite easily put off or, or uh, you know, knocked off of the knocked off of kilter because of other egos in the room. Mm. Um, I, but I did. I didn't have that. I I just went in there. I knew. I I wasn't worried mm. about it. I mm. knew who I was for that mm. like mm. ten minutes, and I just mm. went in there and gave them that. And it was almost like a partly not in a it wasn't like this exactly, but mm. it, it felt like this is who I am. So it was a more calm center. It was calm, and it, but it was kind yeah, it was like, but if, if you don't, if this doesn't work out, it's cool, but this is who yeah. I am. This is what I've got. So this sounds like what you're saying is you're coming from a more uh, positive mindset yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's going to show in your body, your yeah. body language, your facial expressions, yeah. the words you use when you're talking about yourself yeah. the tone of voice yeah. of that and those all those signals somebody who is your potential employer will yeah. pick those up and make a decision an instinctive decision say yes i want to work with this guy this is the energy i want or no i don't think this is right for me yeah 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 mm -hmm. yeah and so i i suppose again it comes back to being authentic because you can't fake that can no you? no uh and how do you be authentic? It's getting it right. So the meditation then, that works for you. Works for me, it's yeah. Good. I'm not yeah. saying by any means mm. that that's mm. for everyone. Because it doesn't want to make you all sort of spacey and no. zen-like. No, no. Because, you know, they'd say, well, this guy's far too laid back for me. I want a bit of energy in my, <laughs> yeah. my company. Absolutely, yeah. But it's just interesting. I I think what is so important is, is getting control of your mind Yeah. yeah? and realising... You know, we are not our thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Someone once said, thoughts are things. Yeah. You know, thoughts become things. And if you think, if you realize to a large extent, you can control the way you think. You can choose to eliminate, you know, mainly negative thoughts. Yeah. And, and consciously try and encourage more positive thoughts. Yeah. That will change the way you look, the way you sound. Uh, the energy you bring into a room, yeah, and so it's being aware, uh, being aware of those signals. Yeah, acknowledging those, those yeah. as yeah. thoughts, as passing yeah. Yes. Yeah. creations of your own mind. You know, a good another way of looking is to say, if you think of all the thoughts you had today, yeah, what and if really a thought is is n almost never neutral, is it? That well, you say that no. door is black. Yeah, I suppose. That's a neutral thought. I guess so, yeah. I'm feeling hungry, I'm feeling satisfied, I think I need a haircut or whatever. All those will be 
positive or negative thoughts, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you ask yourself, okay, today, what percentage of my thoughts were positive and what percentage were negative? And if you find, well, the answer is there were 80% negative, then there's a problem yeah, you yeah, need yeah. to work on. Yeah. And But you have the power before you go into clinical depression, you have the power to turn that around. Yeah. And maybe a lot of people don't realize that power and work on it. Yeah. Now, it's not to say you'd be sort of blindly, you know, um, crazily positive all the time, so <laughs> yeah. you know, that you face reality yeah. and, and deal with things. But I think... I think depressive and negative thoughts are very seductive. Yeah. And if somebody says something bad to us, it's very seductive to keep dwelling on that. Totally. It? Yeah. It's it's I often you I think we Yeah. I don't want to give too much away about yeah. myself there, yeah. but like, yeah. you know, like I mean because that's normal. I yeah. think most people are like that. You want and to it's be much sad harder to dwell and keep going round and round on the nice thing yeah, somebody yeah. said to you. There's something very attractive and seductive about the negative you know the shit in your life yeah it's weird and if you allow yourself to be pulled down by that then you can say you can you can kind of sink into that yeah general negative mindset and when you walk into the door through the door uh, for an audition we'll see that in your body and we'll hear it in your voice yeah and if you can train yourself to watch for that, okay, have a command. Sort of delete that, you know, change that program, stop that. Yeah, yeah. Just something you can recover get instantly yeah, that yeah, works yeah. for you. Yeah. You can gradually get into a habit of thinking in a more positive way, but realistically, not kind of blindly optimistic. Yeah. And and I think it's just a habit. Habits are very interesting, aren't they? Oh yeah. Because we're not often aware of habits. No. But habits can be changed. They can be shifted. Yeah. So the first stage is awareness of the habit. Oh, I do this all the time. Yeah. And the second is the choice you have. I could change that if this habit is no longer useful to me. Yeah. Yeah, we do have the power to do that. Yeah. So maybe we should check it in a few weeks and see how I think this we is going. Yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. <laughs> You've brought me right but, back yeah. again on my like flashbacks. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? That just what we can do. Yeah, it is. And, and, but also how easily we can forget yeah. Yeah. that yeah. we can do yeah. that. Yeah, because we're human. Yeah. But you know, know all you. the research shows that people in any field, whether, whether it's sports, science, business, arts, yeah. people who are successful, they have somehow acquired... A habit of being positive and optimistic, yeah, more than negative and pessimistic, yeah. And I think if we if we make that almost a value, positivity, and not blind positivity, yeah, but, you know, active positivity, it can make a big difference to our success. And so it's interesting. You said once you started doing the posit the these the podcasts, yeah, that. That raises your self-esteem because you're doing something and you know, hopefully somebody is still listening to this. <laughs> um, you, know, you know you're having an effect. Yeah. So you're making a difference in the world. Yeah. And I think that's really important. 
making a difference, making a difference in the world. And that raises your self-esteem. So again, when you walk through that door, we're going to see it. Yeah. So is it is it about is is it about everyone finding their version of a podcast or yeah, yeah. whatever? Well, because some people it, don't yeah. need the podcast. No, but it might be something else. You know? Yeah, it might be somebody I don't know takes up flower arranging or yeah, yeah, sure sells their cupcakes. Yeah, or, <laughs> you know, does it's very interesting when at Guildhall we have an exercise now in the third year where people do a monologue, um, a solo piece, we right. call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one chap a couple of years ago, he um, had done his solo piece and he was, uh, I don't know whether anyone had seen it. Yeah. He he went, he was had an interview with an agent. Yeah. And the agent said to him, oh, I heard you had this really interesting solo piece, you know. And he said, oh, yeah, it was great. I did this and this and this. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Could you show it to me? He said, yeah, I'll do it for you now in the office. Yeah, because they're only a quarter of an hour long. So he did the piece. I thought, oh, that's really great. Good. I'll take you on. And by the way, there's this really there's a good job coming up. I want you to see this casting director. So he, he went to the casting director, and the casting director said, I heard you had this really interesting solo piece. Said, do you think I could have a look at it? He said, yeah, I'll do it for you. And he got the job. <laughs> Go on. So, you know, that that was his cupcake, his podcast. His podcast, his whatever, yeah. yeah. So it's finding your own thing. No, absolutely. So where does this leave us? Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm all over the place now. I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. No, I'm not at all. It's, 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 uh, it, it's, you've given me so much to think about and, or not, maybe like you've given me, I can't, like you reminded me of the yeah. the because there is an argument that you know all the answers yourself. Of course, yes, Ken. <laughs> That's why I ask the yeah. question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I guess oh, I don't know. I'm flabbergasted. I'm I'm literally. You've made me start thinking now, which is a good thing. Mm. And sometimes mm. I look at it as a bad thing. Um, why? Because I because I do tend to maybe it's because I indulge those negative thoughts more than the positive ones mm. or i how did you say we, were, we you sort of yeah go around in circles with those mm. particular mm. thoughts mm. um and it's yeah you've inspired me to just keep moving and to get back up that's my biggest downfall is that i and i reckon that i pretend that I don't know that I've fallen. Hmm. Maybe. That's well, a very honest insight. Yeah. And then maybe I'm just enjoying being down there in some hmm. sadistic, weird well, way. Which is very sed- seductive. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, so I need to get, get some self-discipline. And mm-hmm. When will you start? Now. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, this is we've been we've gone for an hour and forty minutes. Oh my god, are you? Was anybody still awake? <laughs> no, it's fine. They'll 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 love it. Um, but I, I could talk to you all night. Well, we'll better meet again sometime. Yeah, would you be up for doing it again? Yeah, love to. Um, I'm. I Ken, you very kindly gave me a couple of copies of your book. 
I'm going to work out a way of distributing those to any of my listeners who bloody talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just thank you so much for, for letting me come to Guildhall and, mm-hmm. and do this with you and for, yeah, chatting with me today. Well, thank you for having me on the programme. Is, Not... is it a programme? Pro- well, <laughs> call it whatever you like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Show, I suppose. The show. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Show. It's nice. It's always nice to have a chat together. Yeah. yeah. It's good to catch up with you. Yeah. Thank we you have a shared me. language. Absolutely. Thank you, Ken. Biggity baggity boom. There you go. That was Mr. Ken Ray, Professor Ken Ray. We covered so much, but also barely scratched the surface. I could have chatted to him for hours and hours about his life, about his journey, about his teachings, his learnings. <laughs> Is that a word? His findings in research and through his travels and experience, he's the most calming dude ever in a really good way and makes you, like I said in the podcast, sometimes I used to get annoyed because I couldn't handle, I wanted someone else to give me the answers. Um, And as you saw in that episode, even still now, I'm expecting those answers from other people. But what, what a chat, what a life this dude has led. It's unbelievable. I was so impressed by his... I mean, I knew... I I didn't know all of that about... In detail about his travels and his upbringing. And I was, as I said in the podcast, just... Just... Like, blown away by his... Motivation and his... Curiosity. Optimism. Um which was something we covered and, and you know, the, the need for making that a habit. Successful people are generally positive people. And this is said, I, I even heard that on a podcast the other day as well. It's like, it, it just makes total sense, I guess. But it's easy to forget, as Ken said, we're human and we do forget these things sometimes. We need to make positivity a value in our lives. And from looking at Ken... We need to stay curious all the time. And especially as an actor, that is something that should go without saying as well. But it's like, you know, that, that all of that experience, that traveling, that, that learning about different styles of theater, about different things going on in the world, they're all things that, that make a better actor as well. This knowledge of life and people and places and things. And I was reminded and it was sort of reiterated to me that my sometimes when I get knocked back because I was talking on the podcast before the previous podcast about when I like calling myself a fad guy you know that was what I was saying I I go through these fads and then I sort of and I'm in ultimate positivity mode Um, maybe too much maybe it's like blind positivity as we talked about and I fall off and fall and keep falling and I go, do you know what? I'm just going to keep falling because fuck it because nothing's working and fuck everyone and ah. And then always eventually we get back up. I get back up and, you know, I crack on and, and you've experienced that with me. You've you've seen that happen to me um, or heard it at least. And I know it's it's up to us to take control of those those negative thoughts and go no I mean 
acknowledge that they're there, but go. You're, we have the power to change that into to 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 change our negative situation into a positive one. All through the power th- power of thought, really. I mean, there are things in life, obviously, like financial worries and things like that, that are, are things that we we can't necessarily we can't control in in at that. Oh no, we can. I guess you know. Um, but it's it's up to us to rebound quick, like as quickly as possible, and it's okay to fall, to fall down and 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 go. Everything sucks, but don't stay there. That's what I do. I just stay there and go. Oh, there's no point. And all it takes is to go. No, I'm not going to sit in this. I'm going to get out of this bath of shit. And carry on find another way whatever the problem may be i don't know um so i found that that really interesting and and one message i guess that can sort of that was stuck with me after the podcast was do not waste a minute of your life create these opportunities for yourself and take these opportunities and learn from them and and just grab life by the balls basically and and there's we ha- we're not on the uh, so cliche we're not on this planet for very long but so we should really make the most out of it basically and ken is someone who's done exactly that and he's still curious and he still wants to learn and he still wants to find things out and he still wants to work out what it is that makes a charismatic actor that a charismatic like what what are those elements and he's constantly looking for it and i think if we put ourselves in a position of constant sort of um yeah seeking of wisdom and knowledge and and all of that stuff and and balance our time and everything in in the right way that will enable us to do that then we'll be all right if we if we just commit to not wasting a minute of your life he said that and it like rung in my ears do not waste a minute of your life not one minute and I can already think of at least 10 minutes today that I've, even today, on a day where I'm feeling positive and pumped, you know, there have been, I mean, yeah, okay, give yourself a minute, like, I've sat down and had a sandwich, I guess I wasn't necessarily using, I mean, yeah, well, you have to eat, I don't know what I'm fucking talking about, but you get the point, shouldn't go too deep into these things, because then you start realising that, no, don't worry, but don't waste a minute of it, you know? And you'll be alright. I guess, like, never be satisfied. If you're fully satisfied, then you're done, I guess. So always be seeking more, I suppose. Which, as I say out loud, sort of feels like something that I wouldn't normally think. I mean, yeah, obviously it's a a positive thing to always be seeking more and everything. But uh, it is a positive thing. But what a great chat. I, I love the man. And I can't wait to to speak to him again. I'm so grateful that he did it. Check out his book, The Outstanding Actor, which is available on Amazon. I will put a link to it on my on in the description of the podcast. Um, I'll put a link to where you can buy it on the website um, and on my Facebook page and all that stuff. Follow Ken at Kenneth underscore Ray. That's R-E-A. Kenneth underscore Ray on Twitter. 
Check out his Facebook page, The Outstanding Actor. Check out his website, www.kenray.co.uk. That's K-E-N-R-E-A.co.uk. Just UK. And I will be doing a giveaway. Ken very kindly gave me a couple of copies of his book to do a little giveaway on the podcast. But uh, if it's something you're interested in reading, and I do recommend it, if you're auditioning for drama schools, if you're out of drama school, if you're an actor in any way, shape, or form, even if you don't want to go to drama school um, or haven't been to drama school and you're working, I don't know why, I guess because I've been to drama school, it always comes up in my mind when I talk about acting. I'm not one of those, I, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. But this book, whatever your situation is, is fantastic. There, there, are, there are exercises in there that you can use to exercise your imagination uh, with yourself or with groups. It's, it's, it covers everything that Ken is about. And it's like a, a you know, a, a, it's like reading the book is like studying at drama school with Ken. It's really nicely put together. It's easy to read. And as we know, that's not my strong point. And I've got through it. So you'll be fine. Um, and it's really, really good. I appreciate you all listening. I appreciate you sticking with me on this journey for the last couple of years. Uh, or I welcome you if you are new to the podcast. I still, I just listened to my first ever podcast today, getting all nostalgic. And I still um as much as I did in the first episode. And I, it annoyed me now as it annoyed me as much it annoyed me then as much as it does now and I hadn't even been doing it at all then now it really pisses me off um (laughs) fuck but anyway thank you so much for all of your 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 thank you so much for listening thank you for sticking with me big love to y'all and I'll catch you next week for another episode the 101st episode I won't keep doing that of Acting Inspired with me, Lewis Goody. Cha-chao. Twas like gay and easy, whatever may come. Take a trip on the canal if you want to have fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.